It's our first Learning Geeks episode for 2019. We have an update on our learning resolutions and our post-holiday stories. And we're going to do a shout out to you, our listeners. It's Learning Geeks podcast coming up now. What are we listening to? <laughs> I was just wondering the same thing. What happened to our theme song? Uh, this like, is, what is this the, the Learning Geeks funeral dirge or what? This is, well, this, this may be our rest in peace music later. Oh, but this, Yeah, that's good. This is what happens when you bring your different laptop and you don't have the theme music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all a learning process. Oh my. It's a build up. It's building up. All right, I'm we'll picturing we'll, we'll like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picturing <laughs> I, think, like, I think I think that's good enough. Beach, <laughs> slow fade offs, crying faces. Oh, that reminds me of so. the, some of the Hallmark shows my family watches. <laughs> that's, that's all they had in the stock. <laughs> stock sound. Oh my goodness! Wow. Well, hey, let's dive in. Uh, welcome back, gentlemen. Hope you had yeah, a good back. holiday break. We did. I know, Very good. Yeah, I I I got away. I went on a cruise for two weeks. So. We um we did the Christmas with the Crunks or Cranks whatever that movie was, um, uh, approach. And you had we no Christmas decorations we, out then, is what you're telling us. No, we actually did. We oh. we we brought some Christmas decorations for the boat. We had some battery powered LED <laughs> battery powered LED lights. Of course you did. And then and on, they, on they Christmas had a Star Wars morning, theme, right? Uh, they didn't actually. No, I was. I, you know, if they had them, I would have got brought them. That's mm-hmm. for sure. But um, we did on Christmas morning think it would be cute for us all to wear matching p- Christmas pajamas and go for breakfast. Uh, and it was cute, but we were totally upstaged by the family of 12 people that wore Christmas onesies. <laughs> and then. they walked in and everybody just applauded. So, but it was fun. It was, it was a nice break, but it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the flow. Yeah. After about the after about a, a week, well, was the week the first week is usually the go here, go here, it's a Christmas party, that family, this, and then the second week, I about halfway through, I was totally ready to get back in a routine, which is pretty pathetic. I think I'd want to be gone for the two weeks, but after a week and a half, I was just I was ready. <laughs> I think I, I mentioned this in the last podcast. I felt this holiday lasted a long time from when Thanksgiving started. Yeah, well, there was that extra week in there, right? It was, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's why. Yeah, isn't it? That it, was not my experience at all. Oh, you went fat. <laughs> well, you were on the road a lot, weren't you? I was on the road a lot in December, and it was like it was like a blink. <laughs> I feel like I, I really, especially with being gone over Christmas, like I missed the whole holiday season. So, well, we, we had the good break. We had all the family together out in Utah, and uh, uh, it was great to see everybody and just have everybody, uh, you know share stories and do all those things that families do when they get together. But I came back and, you know, we talked about uh, our resolutions, uh, things we're going to learn. I came back uh, home as an empty nester. So I'm starting to learn (laughs) what that's all about. (laughs) I know there, you know, like that's, that day is coming for me uh, a little less than a year from now. And I'm kind of excited about it and kind of sad about it. I'll share, I'll share lessons learned along the way, Bob. You'll be fine. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, hey, let's dive in and and let's go back and revisit really quickly our last podcast because we talked about some of our learning resolutions and we called out, uh, we gave shout outs to some of our favorite teachers, some of the most influential people on us in the education field. That's probably a more appropriate way to put it. And I have a quick report back on two of those. I'm going to start with the 
teachers I acknowledged uh, who were Mr. and Mrs. Toomey, if you missed that last time, I got a really nice note back from Mrs. Toomey, which was fantastic. Um, It was very sweet of her and she's probably listening. So hi, Mrs. Toomey. Thank you for the note. Uh, She said something in there that was really flattering, but it also got me thinking. And I I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to give you the exact quote, but she said, you came to us with a strong desire to learn, which is what we look forward to as teachers. So it was very nice. And the thought that sparked in my head was, it's interesting that she said that because I would have said that both she and Mr. Toomey instilled in me a desire to learn, right? So it's kind of like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) You know, what comes first in terms of creating a desire to learn? Does the learner bring that or does does the teacher bring that? Does the teacher create that? And it didn't take me too long to think, you know, it's, it's both, or maybe the better way to look at it is it's more powerful if you can have both of those situations. So you have a teacher who is passionate about teaching, who can create an amazing learning environment, who sets up that environment for, for learners to learn. You couple that with learners who are excited to learn, who are, are passionate about well, first off, they're curious, and then they're passionate about learning whatever it is they're learning from that teacher. It's really kind of an unbeatable situation. You, you can't miss with that. Uh, you can probably still succeed if one of the other is missing, but you eventually have to get to that point where you've got both a motivated learner and a motivated instructor. Uh, I, I thought that that was great. And I think that it's something as learning professionals, we should continue to remember, you know, how, how do we not just create fantastic learning environments, but also how do we help our learners come with a sense of a desire to learn? And one thing that comes to mind is the research we did several years ago on extreme learners, where we interviewed uh, a dozen or so people who, who learn really in the extreme. I mean, they're successful professionally, they're successful personally, and they just have this huge appetite for learning. And, and you hit on one of the things that was a common thread across everybody that we interviewed, and that was that they had a curiosity and they cultivated that curiosity. Um, you, they learned something and then they would figure out what are the tangents of things that I can learn from that. And uh, I, I love that idea of blending an individual's natural curiosity with a powerful teacher that can feed that curiosity. That To, to me, that seems like a magic formula. There's a lot of uh, the research that's been out there for a long time is self-regulated learning. I think that's the official term. And there's also self-directed learning. But they talk about the learner themselves and that when an individual typically has a lower prior knowledge, they are in more in need of some type of support because they don't necessarily have the ability to structure or create their own learning strategies, their learning goals they need some type of support. But I think when you do have a teacher or someone to guide you or someone to support you, you can help that individual, I think, like in your case, Bob, inspire you to find things that are curious, more, maybe faster than maybe what you could do on your own. And then mm-hmm. eventually that can lead into just more and more interest in more engagement. And then it just, I think it, it pairs so nicely when the, you can help that individual find out how to discover things on their own, but at the same time, knowing that that individual there, that teacher is there for constant support. And I think that those two environments work really well. 
Another one other thought that comes to mind in relationship to the curiosity, there's also this notion of taking detours. And I'm sure you guys have all been on road trips where, you know, for one reason or another, you took a detour. It's either Mm -hmm. because you wanted to or because the road was closed. And, and, you know, when you take detours off the main path of curiosity, if that's the way we're going, you take the detours and often the detours are more exciting than the main path. And I think that's part of what um, an effective teacher can do is they can help you understand what are some of the detours? What are some of the things you may not see if you stay on the main road? My dad was notorious for detours on road trips. <laughs> and he was, he was cause he clearly forgot, didn't know where to go. And it did definitely make for uh, memorable trips. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's serendipitous learning, right? It, you know, you've got that aspect of serendipity, which is a big word that I think Roald Dahl defined as uh, digging for worms and finding gold which I never forgot it after that, but it's just kind of trusting the process and you're going to learn whatever it is you need to learn. And even if that's a result of making a complete left turn, then that's great. And I mean, that's the type of thing that's going to happen in experiential learn by doing learning events. I think that's what this, what's so great about the teacher. They can establish that trusted environment and then allow them to kind of go with the flow. And then when those detours mm-hmm. do come up, they're willing to take it. And um, I mean, I, I just always think of my of Erica's classroom, my wife's classroom. And I've been able to be there twice now in the last month to help with some things. And just seeing these kids, they get so excited, especially during the science classes um, and science activities. And the comments that she received for at the end of the holidays from her from the kids' parents about that, allowing the kids, the kids have been so curious and interested. And it really was a result of her creating the environment to, to enable that. So get yourself some curious learners, keep instilling that in them, create the environment where they can learn, let them take detours. It's the way to do it. Yep. Or at least, you know, thus endeth the lesson from this story. So (laughs) speaking of stories, Dana, I hear that you got a pretty cool Christmas present. Yeah, I did. You know, we often wonder what type of a legacy we're going to leave uh, our family and and friends. And you know, we, uh, we wonder how much they will remember, you know, long after we're gone. Um, and you guys both know that I do a fair amount of family history, and we've got a lot of interesting stories related to our family history. Um, one of the gifts that I got from my daughter, Kristen, shout out to Kristen, uh, was a gift or subscription to something called StoryWorth. Now, this is not a product endorsement, but it's just to, to illustrate some points. Um, the, the way that it works is every week I get a prompt question, um, and then I respond with an email to my reaction to the question. So I, I basically tell a story uh, prompted from that question. So the first question was, what was one of your favorite children's books? Well, I hadn't really thought about that for a long time, but what it did is it took me back to sitting on my mom's lap um, at first reading the pictures to the book, Green Eggs and Ham, but eventually reading the words to Green Eggs and Ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. Um, and so my earliest memories of, of uh, learning to read really came to mind and they hadn't for a long time. I hadn't thought about that for a long time. So the, the idea that uh, you know a nicely asked question or a well-asked question can elicit stories is something that I thought I would bring to the podcast. 
Um, so at, you know, at the end of the year, I'll have answered 52 questions and then there'll be a nice book that'll be published. And I can actually, this is a cool thing. I can actually link those stories, um, or submit them to, um, a, a site called family search, which is where we keep a lot of our family history so that, you know, decades and decades after I die, families or anybody who's looking at that site can go and they can read some of those stories. And, uh, you know, that'll be, oh yeah, great, great, great grandpa. He used to sit on his mother's lap and read green eggs and ham. <laughs> so anyway, I thought I would bring that to the podcast, the, the notion of asking a good question and also um, eliciting stories to leave a legacy. Yeah, it's huge. It, it, it's awesome. I, I mean, just what you're probably learning and processing through telling the story is just as valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's bringing back some good memories, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I find with story prompts like that, that the real power in them, at least as a vehicle for, for learning, the real power in them lies in the follow-up question, right? So I, I, and I can't think of any examples right off the top. Maybe I'll, I'll try to find some and bring them back to a, a, a future podcast. But if you can have a story prompt that brings up the story and then have one or two follow-up questions that lead to a deeper reflection on what that story meant to you and what you got out of it. Mm -hmm. th that's huge. Well, so, I mean, I was thinking about that, Bob, because the way the question is worded, and of course, you know how we are, right? We want to reword stuff, but the, <laughs> the question was worded as what was one of your favorite children's books? I could have simply said green eggs and ham. Right. 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 What, what, what should have happened is, you know, there should have been a, and why was that your favorite? Right. right. That's the follow-up question. And that's the way I answered it. But that's not the way the question was asked. Right. And then, you know, and what does that book mean for you today? I don't even think I have a copy of it today. <laughs> well, there's eggs, they're green, there's ham, there's Sam. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. That's a pretty much There's a box and a fox and a yeah. mouse and a mouse. <laughs> yeah. Right. But there was a launching pad, right? And yeah. I, I, I followed on by reading other things like Hop on Pop and um, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I, I read Cat in the Hat a couple of times, but that was always kind of creepy for me. Um, so, you know, that, that, that started and, and then I got into the Hardy boy mystery series and read all of those and, you know, but, but it was all, you know, it, the foundational was sitting on mom's lap, reading what I remember green eggs and ham. There may have been something before that, but that was the foundation. So this is interesting, not the direction where I thought we were taking on this podcast, but Jake, what were some of the, what were some of the influential books that you read as a kid that shaped you into who you are? Oh man, uh, the Berenstein, uh, Bernstein Bears. I don't know if it okay. actually influenced me to be what I am. Um, I just used to, the, the one thing I used to love about those books is the idea of living in a tree. And when you look out from the outside, the tree was pretty small. And you're like, how are these, there's, a three, or there's four bears, right? Mama, Papa, and, and the, the daughter and the son. Like, how do these bears get in that tree? And then when you walk in, it's just like this enormous tree, this awesome house. And I remember always thinking, man, I would love to live in a tree. And then <laughs> it just created this whole imagination of how cool it would be if I could step into a tree. I don't know. That was the first one. I mean, you put me on the spot there, but that was the one I'm that sorry. instantly stood out as one I used to love. Every time I went to the library, I wanted to seek out the next story of Bernstein and the Bears. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Bob? For me, yeah, for me it was well, I mentioned him earlier, Roll Doll. Uh 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James mm-hmm. and the Giant Peach. Those were Not all much, yeah. very foundational books yep. for me. Um, the Narnia books when I was younger too mm-hmm. strike, you know, they, they, they ring a chord. Uh, you know, I, I think Roald Dahl kind of instilled in me a lot of my sense of hurt, of humor and my quirkiness and, uh, the Narnia books were just kind of a, another restatement of faith. So it was just another way of looking at that story. Uh, and then everything changed in 77 when Star Wars came out and that became my mythology, which, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I, I say half jokingly, I mean, that's because we talk about Star Wars a lot, but it is also, uh, that's why, because essentially, you know, after that came out, like that became my story, uh, that I processed meaning through. So speaking of which, that's probably a nice segue to how are you doing on your learning resolution to yes, learn that Star Wars right. language? Yeah. So, so I made the resolution that I was going to learn Orabesh, which is the written language used in Star Wars. And what it is, it's basically just a replacement character set for a traditional Latin, i.e. English character set. There are a few differences. There are a few single characters for diphthongs in the English language. So like there's a character for ooh, there's a character for th, there's a character for a, um, that, you, you know, you, you kind of have to memorize and it's a little bit different. But other than that, it's a one-to-one translation. And so I, I made it my goal to learn them. And what I did was I used Quizlet, which is really funny because after I talked about this with a few people, I've had so many people say to me, like, Quizlet is uh, is part of our family's lifeblood. Anybody with kids who are in school knows about Quizlet. Again, it's not a product recommendation, but it is a useful product. It's something that people are using and it's a flashcard app for your phone. So I was able, whenever I had a few free moments, just to pull up those flashcards and flip through them. And everybody uses flashcards. They know how they work. And by the end of our cruise, because I did this several times during the cruise, I was able to, uh, I, I basically had the character set all memorized. So I was ready to declare victory on it. But then I got back from the cruise and I started like looking for examples of Orabesh to see if I could read it. And I realized that even though I had the characters memorized, I, I, I'm not fast enough yet because I have to like pause the screen and I have to kind of go, okay, uh, P L O S. Okay. So that says plose. It, it kind of reminds me of what it must've been like to to learn how to read as a kid where you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're sounding it out by phonics and stuff like that. I have no memories of doing that, but Green that's what it must have been like. Green and ham. Ham. Uh, <laughs> uh, mm. um, so, uh, so conscious competence and unconscious competence. And, you know, that's kind of an old chestnut around our industry. Uh, a model for proficiency. I'm consciously competent in Orabesh right now. I I know that I know it, but I have to think about it. I have to think about each letter and kind of make that translation back into English letters. I want to get to the point where I can just look at it and immediately read it as fast as um, as fast as I can read English. And you know, I probably won't get to that point, but I can continue to get faster. The trick is the only way that I'm going to continue to get faster 
is by practicing. So I've been going back and watching old episodes of the Clone Wars and they use it a lot in there and it's fun. I can read things and and that's been exciting. Sometimes I have to hit pause, but sometimes I can pick it up in the minute. Um, And actually uh, today I'm going to go and practice because uh, Star Wars Land is not open yet at Disneyland, but they do have the Star Wars launch bay where they have a uh, they have a mock up of the Mos Eisley Cantina and they've got a whole wall. <laughs> they've got a whole wall that is like graffiti in Orabesh. <laughs> and I've never sat there and read it, but I am going to sit there this afternoon and read it and see how fast I am. Now that's pretty impressive. Did you start, Bob, like when you when we you said the resolution, did you start at the beginning of the year then? Uh yeah. Well, you know, it was pretty much no, actually I, I started after we said that. So maybe a week or two before the, the end of the year. That's pretty impressive. So how many characters are there? Uh, about 30 then. Arabesh. Yeah. Because it's 26 and then there's okay. like four or five of those diphthongs. The diphthong. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's been fun. I, uh, I I did let Harrison quiz me a little bit, my oldest son, while we were on the boat. Because um, I had this realization. I was like, okay, I've got these flashcards, but do I really know it? And so he's like, well, here, let me write something. And so he, you know, he took the flashcards and he spent some time and decoded it and wrote something out. And I started reading it. And then I realized that... Um, uh, he was starting to get into a lot of profanity, but the thing that was funny about that is <laughs> now I really easily remember what S A with the S H diphthong is <laughs> <laughs> because as soon as I see it, I picture Harrison's hand drawn version of it before a uh, a well known word that starts with those characters. It's just like French or Spanish so. class. It's like that's usually the first words that the kids want to learn. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So step, stepping back a little bit, Bob, you know, you explained your journey, but Jake and I've had a couple of discussions recently about this, about learning ecosystems. Yeah. Right. And, and when we talk about that, it's really about what are all of the possible things that you could access in order to learn a particular thing. Right. And, and when I think about your journey on this, it's, no one could really write the curriculum. You're kind of writing the curriculum for yourself, right? Yeah. I'm going to use flashcards. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get some screenshots from some of the um, animated series. Oh, I'm going to go and sit down in the uh, Mos Eisley bar. And I mean, if, if you wrote out a curriculum that said you're supposed to do those things, that'd be um, complex. Yeah. But when you think about a learning ecosystem, you can say, okay, well, these are all of the things. Pick the ones that you know are convenient, that make sense to you, that are challenging. Um, and your, your part of that ecosystem very likely would be different than mine or than Jake's or than somebody else's. So you know, it, it goes back to this idea of sometimes we institutionalize a learning event or a learning curriculum and what we really need to be thinking about is what's the broader ecosystem for somebody to learn something. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, especially for a guy who works in talent research and innovation, like all of us do, the fact that I'm going back to old school methods to do this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is kind of fascinating to me. Now, it's it's modern yeah. versions, right? It's like the flashcards are on my phone, but I, I'm going back to the old standby. And what I get out of that is... I kind of have a classic learning need, so I'm going to a classic learning method, right? I, I don't just need to be able to have this information. I want to process it immediately and have it, you know, embedded in my brain. 
And so the best way to do that is with those old methods. I mean, you're, you're also taking, yeah, a lot of this is all old methods, but I think going back to like what Dana was saying with the ecosystems, one of the, the when we've been uh, talking about ecosystems, we think about there's usually some type of content. So information that you're trying to, to figure out, as well as uh, you, you probably want some type of experiences. So in your case, you're, you're visiting places, you're watching the show, you're trying to get it sent, you're practicing in more of a real context rather than the, there's practice with the cards, but then, uh, then there's an actually go into, let's say the context of watching a show, I'm getting more and more practice there. So you're, you're making a deliberate effort or deliberate practice get basically in your, in your learning process, which I think is key. And then at the same time, you're making connections through, uh, you know, working with your son and whoever to help you in your, the whole learning process, which I think, again, stepping back, thinking about ecosystems, you're being a real good self-directed learner yourself and, and really going through improving your process. But I think just knowing so much about what we knew about durable learning and the science of learning, you're taking a lot of that, I think, without even thinking, and you know what works. Um, and a lot of times that's it, exactly, and le- but a lot yeah. of times it is those basic, sometimes the basic, uh, right. uh, methods that yeah. actually do work. But, but that's exactly right. Jake is thinking back on it now. And yeah, I, you know, I didn't sit down and write down a curriculum. I kind of just started doing it and it kind of unfolded, but now I can go back and I can tick off and I'm like, yeah, pretty much every box of the durable learning model is being checked right. mm-hmm. yeah. in the way that I've done this. Um, which is an interesting thing to think about how I've learned the durable learning model, right? Now that's something that I've been so immersed in over the last few years that subconsciously I'm doing it. So I'm unconsciously competent in the durable learning model because I pulled together a curriculum for myself that, that did it. I was like, so quick quiz for everybody. Since we may have some new listeners, we've mentioned durable learning, and I don't think we've actually referenced those principles that we said. So Let's uh, just let's list them off real quick, I guess. So there's relevant, engaging, uh, contextual. There's uh, effortful, practice, spaced, social, and, and am I generative. Generative. Thank you. I knew I was missing one more. Yeah. So just for anybody that when we hear durable learning or we say durable learning, those are the principles that we tend to think of. Um, and, and you know, again, some people may have different words or, but they're really solid. I think those eight principles to think about. Yeah. And you know what? I just realized we should make a mnemonic device to remember the principles. <laughs> like, you know, like my very educated mother just served us nine pizza pies or Roy G. Biv. You Roy guys G. know my very educated mother, right? It's the planets. I, I know Roy G. Biv. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's the planets. Back when Pluto was uh, a planet. I was like, you can't do okay. that anymore. Right. Cause Pluto. I think we yeah. should protest. I think Pluto should be a planet. Well, it is a, it's, it's a, it's a dwarf planet. Yeah. Hey, we had one last thing we wanted to do. Dana, do you want to tee this up? I do. Yeah. As we encounter people in personal and professional life, uh, periodically we're, we're starting to get more and more people saying, Hey, I listened to the learning geeks podcast. And so we thought, yeah, periodically, we're just going to do a shout out to some of those people who, uh, who are part of our listening audience. We know there's quite a few. We've looked at the numbers and we're excited about that. So I'm just going to do a shout out to a couple of people. And then uh, if you two have some folks you want to shout out to, let's do that. And then we can bring it home. So my first shout out is to my daughter, Kristen, who just graduated uh, with a teaching degree. And over the spring, over the Christmas break, she said, "Um, dad, I'm caught up on the Learning Geeks podcast. So shout out to Kristen. (laughs) 
And a second one to our friend, Bob Mosier. Bob, uh, Jake and I were on a call with him yesterday and uh, I put in a shameless plug for the Learn Geeks podcast. And he goes, I'm a subscriber. So uh, shout out to Bob Mosier. I'm going to shout out somebody who was uh, a guest of ours and we have to have on again, which is Tad Lechman. So uh, Tad came on and joined us and we wound up talking a lot about his experiences in developing an apprenticeship program. We're going to have him back on and talk more about gaming for learning. But I heard from Tad that he's caught up. I think he listens to our podcast while he's tending the horses on his uh, uh, on his little mini farm in Northern California. So, Tad, we're glad you listen. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad. Um, I'm actually going to shout out one of my uh, my cousins, uh, Jessica. I actually found this over uh, the holidays, and she said, I'm almost caught up with Learning Geeks. And it was totally shocking that the fact that uh, she was able to listen to it. And then the second one I was going to give a shout out was... Uh, uh, to Michael Whitney. I don't know you guys remember Michael from, uh, oh, yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Michael. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Hey, Michael. And like, uh, Michael has just given us some really good feedback. And so I just want to give him a big, uh, big shout out. That's fantastic. So thanks to all those people. And thanks to all of our listeners. We are super happy that you are listening and we are excited about 2019 for the learning geeks. We've got, uh, we're just going to keep going with this thing. And, would love to hear back from you. Uh, would love your feedback. Anything else you can uh, you can give to us to kind of join the community would be fantastic. Maybe topics too. Any topics that are interesting. Topics would be, be good. Yeah, that would be great. Send them our way. Okay, so on behalf of Jake and Dana, this is Bob. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks, guys. Take care, everybody.